Good morning. It's great to be um, with you. And um, if you're watching online, and you're still watching online, well done. You are defying the odds. Um, We live in a society that has shrinking attention span. We are living in a society of instant gratification. Um, We want it all now. And you might kind of go, what do you you mean, Adam? But then, I don't know whether you've ever been, gone through the drive-thru McDonald's, and you put your order in, and you go to the window and you pay, and you get to the other window, and your food's not ready. And you're like, what? You've not managed to make a burger, 20 chicken McNuggets, a McFlurry, an apple pie, and a drink, and a large fries, in the 45 seconds it's taken me since I ordered to get here, what do you, is this fast food or is it not fast food? We all get a little bit offended, don't we? By, like, come on, this is supposed to work. And I don't know whether you've noticed it in a few other things. You know, I remember back when I first started working in restaurants and someone wanted to pay by a credit card, you kind of go, oh no, credit card. Oh, and then you had to get this big machine out and put the card in. And you had to put this thing over the top and you had to run it over and run it back. And then you had to fill all the details in. And eventually, 15, 20 minutes later, it was all finished. And you got to get the person to sign it. And you had to rip it off and give them their section. And you kept your section. And it was this long process. You go, oh, please, not a credit card. And then, and then that kind of moves on, doesn't it? And some genius came up with this sort of so you could swipe the credit card and the machine would print out a receipt that then somebody had to sign. And we're all going, oh, that's amazing. But after that happened, do you ever, I don't know whether this happened to you, you walked into a store and they went, oh, yeah, we haven't got the swipe thing. You've got to go back to the old. You kind of go, well, I haven't, I haven't got long, that long left to live, have I? This is going to take forever. And suddenly we're kind of going, we don't do that anymore. And then, and then, and then we move on to contactless. Well, before contactless, we had PIN, didn't we? You move on to PIN, you go, well, you just got to put your card in, put your four numbers in, away, and you go, oh my goodness, this is so much easier than having to swipe a card and then wait for a thing to print out and then sign it. And then we move to contactless. And if any of you have been in that situation where you go to pay for something and you take your card out and you hold it over the thing, they go, oh, I'm sorry, we haven't got contactless. You have to put your card in. And you're going, oh, What? got to put the card in and take all the time to type four numbers. This is ridiculous. Do you not know I'm in a hurry? Do you not know I've got life to live? I can't. Like, what's going on? And we get, we get so entitled to how quick everything needs to be. Do you have Amazon Prime? Ordered anything on Amazon Prime that didn't arrive the next day? You get pretty annoyed, don't you? <laughs> what? I ordered this yesterday. I clicked a button yesterday that said that somehow this was going to magically arrive on my doorstep the next day. I ordered this 14 hours ago. Why is it not here yet? We get really offended. Jake um, called me the other day and he said, Dad, I've got to tell you, he said, I'm a little bit freaked out. I said, what's up? He said, well, for the church, I've just ordered all this, like... Audiovisual stuff, I don't know, cameras, speakers, whatever it was he ordered for the church that he works at, and he runs that department. He said, and we ordered it from this company in America, and it arrived 36 hours later. 
It's like, what's going on in the world? This is crazy, right? How quick is that? But we want everything instantly. We want everything now. And if I can't have it now, then I'm not interested. Why do I have to wait? Rachel has become quite intolerant of adverts on TV programs. She now says we have to record things. So so then when we get to the adverts, we can fast forward them because this is just inconvenient. We were watching something last week. Was it last week? Maybe the week, last week. We were watching something last week and we were watching it live and it had an advert break on and the adverts came and she went, oh good, I've got time to put three decorations on the Christmas tree. Popped up and popped out and carried on decorating because we can't waste a minute. Can we? Everything has to be now. We are busy people. Life needs to be lived and we are being bombarded by data, information, messages all the time bombarded and the amount of information that's coming at us is crazy and it happens on our phones so I can say if you're watching this online and you are still watching this online well done because the average attention span that we have to watching things online is under two minutes and we'll move on there's been a study done in marketing and advertising, and they, they have said that their research says that where in 2000, in the year 2000, they had 15 seconds of our attention to get a message across to us, they now have eight. Our attention span has shrunk. Advertising industries say they now have eight seconds to get our attention, or we've missed it. A goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. How are we doing, people? That's not great, is it? That we are, we are being outthought by the goldfish. So, um, we, but this attention span, we have to, like, we're moving on to the next thing. Tell me. And so we want, this is why we want everything in headlines. But the good thing is, we've learnt to be able to remember to pick up information and to remember things incredibly quickly. Do you know now they, they understand that we only have to be exposed to information for 0.25 seconds to be able to recall it. It just goes in. We have developed, because we are bombarded by data all the time, we have developed the ability to take at a ridiculous amount of information in. But we just take the surface information in. It's why our politics has been reduced to sound bites. Because we just want the line, we don't want the speech. Which is why we're so exposed to fake news. Because you can put whatever headline out that you want. This is a society that we live in. And we are being bombarded by data and by information. The amount of information we create in our society. Because we just need more you know, on your phones, the average person on their smartphone interacts with it, i.e. presses like, swipe, shift, whatever we do on our phones. We will interact with our phones on average over two and a half thousand times a day. Is that worrying anyone? That's the average. And the amount of data that we are being fed. Do you know as a society, as a world, as a human race, if you add up all the data 
that has been created, that has been produced. Everything, not just online, not just movies and films and TV programs and emails and articles and whatever, but books and everything that's ever been created. 2018, 17, 16, 15, back to 2000, the year 2000, back to the year 1990, back to the 19th, back to the beginning of the 20th century, back to the 19th century, back to when Jesus was born, back to the beginning of time. All the data that was created from the beginning of time to the end of 2018, all of that information is 10% of all the information ever created, which means that we've created in 2019 and 2020, we've created nine times more data we have created 90% of all the data ever created in the last two years. We create data at an incredible rate. We create information at an incredible rate. Do you know we are creating as a human race two and a half, two and a half billion gigabytes a day, a day, every day we create two and a half billion gigabytes of data as a, as a race. To put that in some sort of context for you, Google as a company is about 10 billion gigabytes, which means that every four days we are creating new data the size of Google. Which means that for every single person on the planet, we are creating 2.7 megabytes of data every second. That's quite something, right? We are being, we are creating data, we are creating information, and we are being overloaded by information and messages all the time. And it's created in us a need for more. It is created in us an need for instant gratification. I want to know, and I want to know now. I want to watch, and I want to watch now. The problem with this, everything needing to be quicker, it's not conducive to hope. Because hope isn't instant. Hope isn't instant gratification. Hope is a longer game. And as we sit in Advent, last week we talked about sitting in the darkness of Advent. We talked about how God seems to show up in the dark. In the nativity story, that God seems to show up in the darkness, at night, in the bleakness. These encounters with God are not are not in worship services and everything's great and the lights are going and these encounters with God are in these dark, desperate moments of loneliness and fear. And not knowing what is to come. And what we see in this Advent series is this story of hope. 
these messages that come in and say, God is with you and the Messiah is coming. Don't be afraid. God is at work. One is coming who is going to save not just the nation of Israel, but all creation. These messages of hope, even these messages of hope, are not immediate. They're what is to come. It seems that one of the threats that we have in this age of instant gratification is that we lose the ability to hope. To hold in our hearts a longing for something. To hold in our hearts a conviction that better is to come. That God is at work. That all will be well in the end. And instead we are replaced with this instant gratification. We want it now. And maybe this happens in our worship services too. Maybe this happens in our spiritual life too. We want the instant answers. We want the, we want the instant experience of God and the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to do the work of waiting. We don't want to do the discipline of longing for. We don't want to play the long game. In uh, Proverbs... We see this verse that says that um, hope deferred brings sickness and causes the heart to be sick. And, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You know, Kenny, what's that? What does that mean? And, but maybe we experience some of that. Maybe some of us have been hoping for something for a long time. Maybe some of us have had promises, maybe that we felt from God, that have been there for a long time, and we just don't see how they're ever going to come to pass. Maybe we just need to let it go. Maybe it's never going to happen. Maybe it's never going to be. Maybe God didn't mean it. Maybe it was never God in the first place. And we can become a bit cynical. And it can hurt. But to contrast that, in Romans chapter 5, it talks about hope. I'll just find it in here. Romans chapter 5, it says this. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And maybe there's something of an answer in here. Because it says that actually suffering or darkness or the night time or that time before the dawn 
when things are difficult, when things are in struggle, it says that maybe there's a way that we can see that build character in us. We can persevere. We can keep going. In our hope, we can cling on. Sometimes with our fingernails, we can cling on to hope. And it might build character in us. And character will produce hope. And hope will not disappoint us. And the reason why hope does not disappoint us is because God has already poured out his love into our hearts. You see, because Jesus came, because God became man and came to be with us, we are invited into this relationship where the Spirit of God resides in us. And because of this, we can, we can learn to hope well. Because of this, we can persevere. And I know that there will be times when we feel like we can't persevere. But it says here that perseverance will build character and character will bring hope. In the Advent story, we see this story in Acts chapter 2. And it's not really part of the story that gets told as much as the parts we're more familiar with. But it's something I want to talk about today. And it comes from Acts chapter 2, and we start in verse 22. And it's after Jesus has been born. And there's this law that says that he has to be circumcised on the eighth day, so the first day after the first week. And then 33 days after that, so on the 40th day, the mother has to go for purification to the temple. And also you consecrate your firstborn to the Lord. And so this is what Mary and Joseph did. Um, they went so Mary could go through the purification ritual and so that Jesus could be presented before God and consecrated to God. And it says this, when the time of their purification, according to law, the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So if you wanted to go for this purification, right, then you had to present a sacrifice to the temple. And then they would undergo the sacrifice with you, for you, and, and then they would declare you clean and righteous before the Lord so you could engage in religious practices. You could be part of the community again, a worshipping community in the temple and in the synagogues. And this is what they did. But what's interesting here is he said that the, that the law says that they should do a pair of doves or two young pigeons. But the law only says that if you're poor. Normally you would be sacrificing a lamb. But if you can't afford a lamb, then you would sacrifice um, pigeons or doves. So right here, the writer's telling us that Mary and Joseph are really poor. Times are hard. They're living in darkness. They're in a land that is oppressed. 
There is a land, they're in a land that is occupied, that is troubled, where it's violence, where there is extreme poverty, where the Roman um, leaders are increasing taxes and increasing taxes and increasing taxes, where the religious leaders are increasing taxes, where, where there is suffering and hardship and hope is hard to come by. When is this going to end? When is God going to save us? How is this going to be any different? And they're not, just, they're not just having a year of this, like we've had a very pretty tough 2020. This occupation has been going on for 63 years at this point. And they've had a few uprisings and they just get crushed more and more violently. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Their religious identity is being stripped away, is being, is being beaten out of them. Life is difficult. And as Mary and Joseph go to the temple, it says this in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel is the um, God coming alongside and saving is what that word is getting at. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. See, this man had been hoping, Simeon had been hoping for a long time. He'd been hoping his whole life for God to come alongside and save them. This man had been holding on to hope in the bleakest of circumstances. And he, God had said to him at some point in his life that you will not die before you have seen the Messiah. And he held on to this and he held on to this. And this day, when Mary and Joseph show up in the temple, he has been prompted by the Spirit to go to the temple. Isn't that extraordinary? He's about, he's near to death. Time is running out. It would be quite reasonable for him to become cynical, to become frustrated, for his hope to have gone, for him to think that maybe God didn't mean that. Maybe God's never going to save us. Certainly not in my lifetime. Maybe I'm never going to see it. It would be easy for him to become hard-hearted and cynical, angry with God even. But he's still, even at this point, open to the promptings of the Spirit in his heart. And the Spirit prompted him and said, go to the temple today. And he went and he saw Jesus. And he got to hold him in his arms and say, Lord, I can die now. Because I know that you have come. I know it's all going to be well. Can you imagine that moment? But it goes on. 
The child's father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This journey is not going to be easy. He is going to be misunderstood. He's going to be stood against. He's going to be, he's going to be, he's going to suffer and you're going to suffer. Even in that moment of joy, he saw that hope still had a way to go, that this journey was not finished. The arc of the universe was arcing closer towards justice and the fulfillment of all things. It was all set now, but that was not going to be an easy journey. And then it says, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Now, girls tended to get married, certainly in her teens, usually in their early teens. So she's been a widow for at least 60 years. I think it's fair to say she's been living in some darkness she's been suffering some pain she's been a widow for this time she never left the temple she remained in God's presence all the time but she worshipped night and day fasting and praying and then Jesus walked well doesn't walk in he's carried in amazing she says coming up to them at that very moment she gave thanks to god and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of jerusalem when joseph and mary had done everything required by the law of the lord they returned to galilee in their own town of nazareth and the child grew and became strong he was filled with wisdom and the grace of god was upon him it seems to me anna hadn't had a particularly easy life either Anna had had quite a lot of darkness too. And you know, Jesus wasn't the first Messiah that had come along. There'd been a few. Even in the five years prior to this, there'd been two or three Messiahs. People claiming that this was the Messiah who was come to save Israel. The idea that the Messiah was born, that the Messiah was here, was not a new idea. Ten years before, there had been a Messiah that people had been really excited about, but it came to nothing. 40 years before, there had been a Messiah who had come along and had rallied the people and they'd gone to overthrow their Roman occupiers and they'd been crushed brutally. The idea of Messiah wasn't a new thing. They were expecting Messiah, but they had quite a lot of false, false dawns. And I don't know whether you've ever had a false dawn where you feel you've been hoping for something, you've been longing for something, and you've sensed that something is about to happen, and then maybe it hasn't quite played out the way you thought. So the next time you get hear that promise, the next time you hear God speak that way, you become a little bit more cynical, a little bit harder, a little bit like, well, you're going to have to do a bit more to convince me this time, because I was suckered in last time, or I don't want to be suckered in this time. So, come on, God, you're going to have to show up a little bit more obviously this time. And then maybe it happens again. And we become a bit more cynical and a bit harder. And the miracle to me in these stories 
is that Simeon and Anna, in their old age, in their difficult lives, in their dark circumstances, having had promises of Messiah before, were open enough to the Spirit of God. Their hearts were open. They were living in the presence. Anna never left the temple. And they saw Jesus come. Can you imagine that conversation with Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph? And they're telling their stories about what have happened. And Mary and Joseph are able to talk about what the angels have said and what they've experienced and what's happened. And Simeon and Anna are able to share what they've sensed for decades now. What they've been waiting for their whole lives. Can you imagine the joy and the hope bursting in them in that conversation? In this darkness of Advent, in this darkness of 2020, let's not be people who become cynical or hard-hearted. Let's be people who are open to the promptings of the Spirit, who reside in the presence of God, whose Spirit is poured into us already. Let's be people who welcome the hope of the world. Amen.